We thank God for the message of that truth. God makes no mistake, and we rejoice in the faithfulness of God. One other announcement that we didn't make that um, it's important for us to make is that um, there's another glistening diamond on a ring over in this area of the church. Um, Jordan proposed yesterday, was it? And she said yes. So um, it's a delight to see God at work in these ways and, um, and to know that young people have not given up on the blessings of marriage. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, just the last two verses of that chapter. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that your work goes on and nothing can stop your work. We are thankful that you are the king of all. We are thankful that you are the author of love, that you are the one who brings justice. We are thankful that you are our all in all. And Lord, I pray today that you would help us to understand truly what is important to you and what you expect. And then, Lord, may we walk in your ways. I plead your mercies now in Jesus' name. Amen. This last fall, um, one evening, supper time, Denny came home from refereeing soccer, um, city rec league soccer, and we were waiting supper for her, and so she came in and said, you won't believe what happened tonight. And I thought, oh, great, Another, another story about Angry parents, because we'd already heard story about angry parents and and with referees and this and that. And I thought, okay, what happened tonight? She said, well, it was the the last game of the season, and um, the rec director came and handed out. She said, participation awards to every player. I said, really? Yeah, they didn't give first place awards or second place awards or third place awards. And she's saying it like this. I don't know where she gets that. (laughs) But they gave participation awards. No wonder America's in the condition it's in, she said. And she said, let's make America great again, okay? Seriously, participation awards? 
it's fine to give it, but what's wrong with, yes, you got first place. And no, you didn't get first place. I mean, what's wrong with that? We, um, we don't know what winning and losing is often because we haven't identified what is success. What does success look like? Many here in the state of Iowa and around the country are excited about um, what the Iowa Hawkeye football team is doing this year. But last summer, after a dismal year, the year before, last summer, the football players in the middle of the summer, the dog days of summer, walked into the weight room at the University of Iowa And they found in the middle of the weight room a trophy case smashed to pieces. And they knew what it was. Chris Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach of the University of Iowa football team, had brought an empty trophy case in there. Because last year they lost every trophy game and he smashed a trophy case in the middle of the weight room because he wanted them to get the message that you don't own any trophies. He said it was a message I was given to the guys. A group of seniors... Senator Austin Blythe, among them, said, when we came in and saw that, we immediately understood what it signified. No one had to tell us. We immediately knew, and we just went to work. You know, sometimes you have to realize You're not being successful. But to realize you're not being successful, there has to be a standard of what is success. What really identifies success? And we're continuing in our series on the church, and we need to stop and ask, okay, what does God identify as a successful church? What does success look like in a church? I mean, is it enough to just show up and everybody gets a participation award and, hey, I participated in church. Is that success? I think we've shared recently, but a survey was done of Bible-believing evangelical pastors and Ask them what they measured success by. The number one thing they measured success by was attendance. Number two was finances. Number three was the programs, how many programs they had. Number four was how large their staff was. And number five was the square footage of their building. 
Is that what God measures success by? If you if you took um, that standard of success, just the first one um, of attendance, there's probably more in attendance at Mormon churches around the world than there are in evangelical churches. So, is that success? If we look in the Bible, God says that he designed that there should be, as we read in Ephesians chapter 3, that there should be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? What That success, that there should be glory in the church. What does God identify and what would God look down at a church and say, I am pleased with what is going on there. Is it just how many people come in the door or how much uh, offerings are received? Is it, oh, look at they added these programs and they have these programs. What is it that God really looks down and says, there, there's a church that I'm receiving glory in. I want us to look at that today to some of the things that I believe God's Word tells us. Number one, it is a church where Christ is exalted. Nothing matters but Christ. It's not, it's not the reputation of Grace Baptist Church. It's not about this pastor or any pastor. Nothing matters. Nothing is worthy of praise except Jesus Christ. It's not here to build something that people know Grace Baptist Church. They could know Grace Baptist Church and not know Christ. And what does it profit them? It's not about building our programs. It's not about our agenda. Our relationship with Him is the most important thing in life. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about your preferences or my preferences or this group of people. It's about Jesus Christ. Christ is the head of the church and he is all that matters. In, in decision making, it, it needs to come down. What does Christ think of this? What does God's word think of this? What does it say regarding this? And ultimately, our motivation for everything that we do ought to be we want to magnify Christ. Paul said, I am willing to live or die, but whatever I do... I live so that Christ might be magnified in my body. If you, if you picture our lives and as our lives together as a church as a magnifying glass, and it needs to be centered on Christ so that we are magnifying only Christ. It must be, and that, that is first and foremost a church that is consumed and concerned with magnifying Christ, that Christ alone be exalted. Secondly, 
God considers a church successful where the word of God is proclaimed. We've looked recently, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the exhortation, preach the word. The word of God must be proclaimed because the Bible is our only rule for authority and practice. The Bible must be our source of faith. It must be our shield, our weapon, our light, our comfort, our standard. It must be everything. And it is important that the Word of God be proclaimed, whether it's something we want to hear or not. There are things in the Word of God that I don't want to hear, and admittedly at times, that I don't necessarily want to proclaim. But that's not up to me or anyone else to determine what do we proclaim. That's already predetermined. It's not an option to declare anything contrary to the Word of God, and we must preach the Word of God. We must bring that to be the standard. But that is only the beginning. It is important for us to understand that a church is made up of individuals. And it's not sufficient that the Word of God be preached. Thirdly, the Word of God must be lived. James chapter 1 and verse 22, he says, Be you doers of the word and not hearers only. If any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, he is deceived. He, he thinks that he's doing well. But unless we implement the word into our life, it doesn't bring glory to God. I mean, it's a, it's a good thing that you're at church. It's a good thing to hear. It's a good thing to read the Word. But if that's all we do, we are deceived. Um, God doesn't close the book and say, oh, good, good, they made it to church today. Whoo, man, good. It's, okay, they're there. They're, they're going to hear truth. Now let's see, what are they going to do with that? Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. That's truth. For when I am tried and purified... I will come forth as gold. That's truth. That's what God taught through Job. So we sing that, we hear that, and we go out, and this week we run into a trial, we run into a test. And we don't rejoice in the Lord. And God says that's not successful. It isn't enough to hear it. God said, this is success. When he looks down, and, and here is, 
is a guy that on the job had a situation that he got called into the management because someone on his team made a mistake that cost the business quite a bit of money. And because he's the team leader, he was written up, and the other guy was written up, and it ate at him. But he went and gave it to the Lord and said, God, you are able to make all things work together for good. And I don't understand all this, but I trust you. And God says, "There's that's glory right there. They're living it in the real life. When, when it had been easy to be bitter and angry and vengeful. No, they're, they're living it. God says, that's success. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. God doesn't care if we hear it if we don't do it. When, when maybe there's not a lot of joy in our life and we say, God, you are my joy. You are my hope. You are my strength. You are my confidence. And we're able to go out in the midst of a world that is falling apart and we have joy and peace because of our faith in the Word of God. That's what God's happy about. That's when there's glory in the church. That's when, when, when God sees that it's lived out. When prayer isn't just a study that you do. When prayer isn't something that you just give lip service to. When prayer is a way of life. When the church is called to prayer and we pray. When God looks down and he sees a body of people that, that are committed to truth and proclaim the truth, but they have this unusual combination of truth and grace. That, yes, it is proclaiming the truth and holding the standard, but then it's ministering grace to help lift us to the standard. When God sees that mercy is abundant, that look at, they've received richly my mercy. They've received abundantly my forgiveness. And look at them. They are going in and they're forgiving to others. They're merciful to others. God says that's success. Not just that we gather and sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rest like me. It's when we go and show amazing grace because of the amazing grace that we've received. It's when we manifest a generous spirit in the giving of our time, in the giving of mercy, in the giving of our resources, in the giving of encouragement. See, the problem is not what we do in our worship services. It's how we treat the people that go to the services. The problem is not how a person dresses for the services, but how we love and care for our services and what prayers put into them. The problem is not so much who we are when we are proclaiming Christ as Lord. The problem is how we are with our 
backbiting or our selfishness or whatever. When the Word of God is lived out, when God sees us using our spiritual gifts, if it's mercy or administration or serving or exhortation or whatever it is, putting them into practice, when God looks down and He sees, you know what? They not only can quote the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Wow, look at that. They're manifesting it. They are walking in the Spirit, and in the midst of this time where there should be no peace, they're letting the Spirit of God produce peace. When, when they might be tempted to react and respond differently, they're letting the Spirit of God rule, and they are long-suffering. When God looks down and He says, look at they're putting on bowels of mercy and kindness and humbleness of mind and meekness and long-suffering. Look at they're forbearing one another. They just hate it when people do that. But look at they're forbearing. That person did exactly what they hate. But they're forbearing with it. And they're forgiving one another. That's what Paul prayed. Why did Paul pray that for the church at Colossae? That they would be filled with the bowels of mercy and kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even as Christ hath forgiven you. When he prayed that you may put on the love of Christ, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your heart. Why was Paul was praying that, that there would be glory in the church. When God sees us really doing that, God says, wow, that is what is successful. Our churches will not glorify Christ when we fail at knowing and growing in Him personally. Do you understand? It's not enough for us to hear it. I must personally draw near to the Lord so I start manifesting the fruit of God in my life. Fourthly, God considers it success when maturity is manifested. How do you respond to adversity? You know, um, it's interesting watching mankind. I mean, you see a little kid and they don't get what they want and they throw themselves on the ground and flop around or do all sorts of stuff. Or they get the old pouting, you know, get their poochy lip out Or, you know, they want two cookies. I call it the two-cookie, one-cookie syndrome. They want two cookies, and you say, no, you can only have one. So what do they do? Throw the one they can have on the ground. No! I mean, if I can't have two, I'll not have any. But the human nature is a very wicked and deceitful thing. And it, you don't often, sometimes you do, but you don't often see adults 
you know. We're more cultured in how we pout. We have the silent treatment. You know, we have knowing how to push the other person's hot buttons. What? 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 I didn't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) True maturity responds to adversity. True maturity is manifested in biblical problem solving. True maturity is a willingness to develop accountability because I want to be like Christ and, and I want you to help me. I want you to come alongside and, and if there are things in my life that from your perspective you see, I want you to help me. I need the help of the body. True maturity says, I am committed to Christ-likeness and I don't mind being called to that. In an extensive survey, the top four problems that caused over 91% of people to leave a church, the top four problems were unresolved conflict, gossip, no teaching, and inhospitality that prevented connection. All of those our immaturity. Unresolved conflict, no, I'm not going to. You know, we, we tell kids, go tell them you're sorry. Go tell them. Okay. Sorry. As adults, we just avoid them. Unresolved conflict, gossip, then going around saying, you know what's on? No teaching and inhospitality. Lack of a welcoming spirit. Lack of that prevents connection. Real church growth is spiritual. Not just numerical. I'm not minimizing. We should desire to, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But if every baby that's been born in the last 10 years was still in the nursery and still in a diaper, we would not say that is success. And spiritually speaking, we have a lot of immature believers that are still in the nursery. A, a, a true successful church is, is seeing people grow, is seeing people come to maturity, and difficulty comes. God looks down and says, look at that. They're responding with maturity and in a biblical manner. Number five, God sees success in a church when the community is, it is in is impacted. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Men do not light a candle and put it under a bushel basket, but they set it on a candlestick 
and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine that they, the people you live around, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God is glorified when people committed to the Word of God, committed to living out the Word of God, growing in maturity, are going out and making a difference in the neighborhood they live in, in the people they do business with, the people they work with, their acquaintances in the community. They affect the people they're around. I said affect, not infect, okay? And it is important for us to realize It's not a bunker-down mentality. Let's come in here. It's us against them. Listen, Christ is the only hope for this world. And if it doesn't come through you, how's it going to come to them? And God was pleased and delighted with the church at Ephesus, for example, that he wrote that there should be glory in the church because... People that were given to following Diana were coming to know the true God. And their lives were being transformed because the church impacted the community. That's the story of the book of Acts. How the church impacted the world. And that brings us to the next point. It's not just the community. The world is touched by a church that pleases God. Jesus said, after I depart, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Holy Spirit will come. And he said, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be witnesses for me in Sheraton, southern Iowa, and in Iowa... In Jerusalem, in Judea, that'd be like Iowa. In Samaria, our nation, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. The church that God is pleased with, that God is glorified in, is a church who has missions as a top priority. That it is concerned not just with me and mine. There's not an inward focus. There's an outward focus, not only to the community, but to the world. Many of you are familiar, told it many times, but early days of ministry here, the church was in large debt. And I said, God, if you would help us to pay the debt off for this church We can do something for missions then. God said, no, you've got it backwards. I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can do something for missions. I'll see if you make that a priority. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'll take care of this debt. So he gave us the opportunity, and the church responded. And in the midst of the debt, did much for missions. And has continued to do much for missions. And in five years, the total debt was paid for. 
if you love what God loves, he'll take care of what you need. And a church that brings glory to God is not about building its own empire here. It's about building God's kingdom here and around the world. Lastly, a church that God really sees as success is a church where Christ's return is anticipated. This is what motivates, you know, people say, oh, you people that believe in Christ coming, you're just, that's the easy way out. You just, come get me, Jesus. You just want out of here. That's the easy way out. You're not doing anything. That's completely hogwash. There may be people that way, but I'll tell you what. To know that Christ may come today, and today I'm going to stand before God, that ought to motivate me. And that ought, that ought to inspire me, and that ought to encourage me. Hey, encourage me. Yes, this world is not my home. I have a better home, but it encourages me that the battle will not be forever, and I can fight the fight, and I can run the race, and I may be weary, but the end is coming. And I need to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. And it ought to motivate me that someday, and it may be soon, I will answer to God. It encourages me. Justice will prevail. Wrongs will be made right. There is a heaven. I tell you, I... Just this morning, just heard a little blurb on on news. Somebody interviewing somebody else, and just a blatant lie. And I, right away, my spirit just wants to. You know what? God's going to bring justice. That encourages me. There's a lot of things not right, but God's going to make it right. In Second Corinthians chapter five and verse ten. The early disciples kept this foremost in their mind, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of the things that we have done in this body, whether it be good or evil. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about our life will be tried by fire and the things that were eternal will be purified like gold, silver, and precious stone. The things that were merely temporal, done for self, will be consumed and gone. And he says, what will you have? Is it an empty trophy case? Hey, we play football. Do you have any trophies? No. So they smashed the trophy case. I'm a Christian. I play Christianity. I show up every Sunday. I'm here. Do you have any trophies? Oh, I'm not about trophy. Oh, you want a participation award? Is that it? You better check if you really are participating. Because those that are a follower of Christ are like Christ. Jesus didn't just show up on earth and just participate. He laid down his life for us. 
It, it was a commitment. Someday, every one of us will stand before God and we'll find out what trophies for His glory we'll be able to give back to Him. Participation in war in heaven awards are called save so as by fire awards, and they come with much shame. Some of them are non-participation awards, and they're awarded with depart from me, I never knew you, into the lake of fire. Lest anyone here today thinks, hey, I am good to go to heaven because, hey, I'm at Grace Baptist Church where the word of God is preached. You are not good to go to heaven. I don't care if your name is on the membership of this church. If you have not personally come to the point in time in your life where you said, whoa. I am a sinner. I have, I have rebelled and violated a holy God. What am I going to do about this? The only thing, the only thing that can cover my sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, I ask for the blood of Jesus Christ to cover my sin. And if it has never been personalized in your life, Along those terms, it doesn't need to be exact words, but if you have never personalized that, you are not good to go. I don't care where you've been baptized. I don't care how many churches your name is on the membership. I don't, there is no hope. But if you have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin, God wants to bring glory to his name through you functioning in the body. It is important that we understand these things. Tonight, we're going to talk about functioning in the body. And tonight, um, we're going to hand out a little piece of paper, and we're going to have you rate the strength of Grace Baptist Church from these seven things that were listed this morning and the weakness of Grace Baptist Church from these seven things. We're going to take some introspective look at these things. But you know what? There are other coaches that have done similar things to what Chris Doyle has done. But players responded with, ooh, coach got pretty upset, didn't he? And they didn't change a thing. And they're getting participation awards today. There are Christians that hear messages like this and say, hmm, and they never change a thing. Every one of us ought to examine, is my goal that Christ be exalted Is it my desire to live the Word of God? What am I doing? Am I manifesting maturity? The way I respond to my wife or husband, the way I respond to the kids, the way I respond to siblings, the way I respond to parents, the way I respond to bosses, am I showing maturity? 
Am I making an impact on the community? Am I concerned about the people around the world that they come to know Christ and what am I doing? And am I living with anticipation of Christ's return? Heavenly Father, may you truly find in us a heart that as those players said, we just went to work. Lord, may we truly do and take the steps that would cause you to be glorified in this church body. Lord, there is so much more that you desire to do. May you find in us willing hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.